Yo, what's going on? You got Mark7272, Mindset Investor here. Just wanted to share, I was actually on another amazing podcast. It's called Intensify Life. It's actually an international podcast uh, hosted by Samduda Sarkar. Samduda is just an absolute crusher. She's just doing so well as a female entrepreneur. And let's remove the female. She's just an absolute amazing entrepreneur. And what I love about Samduda is she just continues to push on herself, pushing on her you know, mindset barriers and pushing on others. So in this episode, I actually get put in the hot seat. Samduda was definitely well prepared, did her research. I was, I've been asked things I've never been asked before. It made me sweat a bit. So just wanted to share with all of you and can't wait to hear your thoughts. Take care. person has killed seven people. He pulled the plug for someone to take their last breath. He was cursed, abused by the friends and families of those people. But why did he do this? What was the intention? Who is this person? And what's his journey? We are not unknown of the fact that we get so many lemons thrown at us in life. But what we do with those is what makes all the difference, isn't it? In fact, I would say that it creates stories that impact. It creates history. If you play poker or know the rules of the game, you might be knowing that having the cards 7-2 is considered the worst because then for sure you're going to lose. Hence, the only way out is to fold. But why are we talking about poker today? Why are we talking about death today? Because the human being who is here with us today is one who went through so many adversities in life that he literally refers this as his tagline, the 7-2. He is the 7-2 mindset investor, strategic mindset architect, real estate investor, motivational speaker, and a podcast host. In his high ticket sales career, he has closed approximately $100 million of sales. And he is passionately helping people to deconstruct the sales and mindset barriers. Even after going through so many challenges and adversities in life, he did not give up. Instead, he is intensifying humanity and intensifying life through his works and contributions on this planet. He is none other than Mark Smith. Welcome, Mark to my podcast of Intensify Humanity and Intensify Life. Wow, what, what an introduction. I'm, uh, the pressure is on. Thank you so much. <laughs> your, your story is so interesting. And in fact, I am so curious to know more about it. I'm sure the listeners also. Uh, and to begin with, first, the most important question I would like to ask you is, what is the story behind killing those seven people. Yeah, the killing of the seven people. Yeah, when when people hear that, um, 
it, it, it really grabs their attention. And I didn't realize how impactful that was till, uh, you know, 23 years later, or 23 years later. And um, so I'll, I'll, I'll just backtrack here. So my parents, my parents immigrated to Canada from East Africa. My great, great grandparents are from Gujarat. And, um, you know, they had an option of where to move and they wanted to have a better life for the children. So I was born in Canada. Um, and of course, still being of Indian descent, it's always about, uh, you know, you have to get this type of occupation because, you know, it's important for education and what will people think if you don't? And we all know that the, the, the current climate in India that we see a lot of is like, what's auntie gonna say, right? If you don't follow a certain pathway and that's a whole other subject in itself. So my pathway I thought was going to be um, practicing medicine. Uh, and so I thought, but it was actually other people's realities. Um, but I do know, and I actually thought about this this morning, which is the timing of this is impeccable. It actually hit me this morning that since a child, um, I've always wanted to speak on stages. And it just dawned on me, it just hit me today. Um, I've been practicing NLP and really trying to understand my, my memories. And it just hit me, I'm like, wait a second, I've always wanted to sit on stages or speak on stages. So having said that, um, you know, I went the pathway of doing uh, in health medicine. Uh, so I went to university and I actually got burnt out. Um, you know, I'm always, I'm a high performance individual, but it's like, you know, your engine is going at full throttle, full capacity. So I burnt out. So I decided to take up another profession within the healthcare sphere um, that could then allow me to get back into, into medicine, which is a program called respiratory therapy. And what respiratory therapy is, it's cardiopulmonary. So it's looking at the heart, it's looking at the lungs and how they coexist. Um, and I mean, I really enjoyed going to school for it. I'm a, I'm a life student, so I enjoy learning all the time. And it was really taking that knowledge or life support and taking it to, um, you know, helping people. Because I've always wanted to help people too. So I worked in the neonatal intensive care. So neonatal intensive care meaning newborn babies. Uh, premature babies. I worked in pediatric intensive care. So you're looking at pediatric children. And of course, I worked in adult intensive care. And our role in, in, in you see a lot of it right now with COVID, it's the requirement of ICU ventilators. And there's specific ways on how you manage one person's breathing on these machines. It's very, very sophisticated. And so our role was to ensure that, I mean, to buy time to allow the disease process to, to fix itself or we can remedy that. But unfortunately, when the disease process can't uh, be resolved or be cured or be uh, helped, um, then you run into a path of, 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 of death, for example, brain death is where I'm talking about. Um, so in these decisions or as a family made a decision that the child or the newborn or the adult uh, whether it be their mother, child, grandfather, didn't matter, could not live anymore. The family had to make the decision if they should stop life support. So although it was their decision, they weren't the ones turning off the machines or pulling the plug, as they say. Um, so I was tasked with that, uh, that responsibility. And uh, so the youngest person that I killed was a 14 day old child, uh, seven year old child. Um, and Although it was not my responsibility as a family's choice, but I was just following orders. And I had no way of unpacking that. I was 20 years old. I was 20 years old. And so 
my friends would want to go to the bar and hang out and you know meet the ladies and so forth i would just want to sit in the corner just drink i had no way of unpacking it and i didn't realize how deeply rooted that was until really a few months ago because because i didn't unpack that um and i couldn't find answers to help people because in that experience I've had mothers slap me, slap my chest. I've had fathers spit in my face saying I've, I've murdered their child or killed their child. And I don't blame them. They, I can only imagine being a parent myself. And then you have some stranger coming in a room and turning off the machine. Um, but it was at that point I realized I really wanna help people and I feel so helpless. How do I help people? So that's when I got into my sales career. And I got into medical sales because I felt I could make a difference um, by leading with innovation leading with technology and showing people that there's other ways that we can support our patients and so forth. So I went on that journey and I did that for uh, over 20 years. Um, so that's when I got into the high ticket sales side. And it was really, it was a great experience because I was able to turn my passion, which was sales, but turn it into helping others. And uh, I had a, a very lucrative career in sales and high ticket sales. Um, but because I didn't deal with what I dealt with at that moment in time, all it did was it just, it just festered like a bad virus inside someone's body or a bad cancer in someone's body. And so I had, I had gained lots of wealth. I was doing really well for myself, lived the high life, you know, like I said, a hundred million dollars in sales, but all that did was amplify how empty I was on the inside and how broken I was on the inside. And eventually, I mean, we're human beings. Uh, and I, I broke. And that impacted my relationships It impacted a lot of things around me. So going through that, although, you know, I said I killed seven people, 23 years later, I actually had to kill one more person. That was my choice. And that was my old self. I had a funeral for myself and I said, that's the old me. And what I need to do is instead of investing into others, which is investing in others by being a people pleaser letting everyone else be happy. And then, because that just became a very vicious cycle because I thought I was being selfless, but I was actually being selfish because I was looking at how people perceive me. So I turned, I turned the switch, flipped the switch, instead started becoming more selfish and started focusing on myself so I could be selfless. And it was through the spiritual journey that's allowed me to take off and in a different trajectory I, I never would have expected. And uh, so that hopefully gives you some uh, some background on myself. Wow, it, it was not a background. It was like, I was just, when you said that someone coming in the room and pulling the plug and you were 20 years old that time and you were just following orders and then the shift happens when you became a high ticket sales closer and what kind of hollowness you had in, uh, within you one thing i would like to ask you here when all these things were going on people were like the families the parents were coming and abusing you etc uh, those things were piling up within you just sure. like you mentioned that were happening my question is how did you manage yourself that time what exactly did you tell yourself and how did you actually went through life during that time yeah, I, I managed it very poorly. All I did was, it was like the Chernobyl uh, nuclear power plant. You know, all people did was they poured concrete on it and eventually the radioactive waste simply oozes out 
And that's what I did. I didn't take care of the issue. Um, what, sh what I should have done is gone and seek, seek therapy. I should have seeked post-traumatic stress disorder therapy. I should have gone and seek those things. But instead, because of my ego, uh, which was, again, being selfish, you know, my excessive attraction to my external self, uh, external identity, um, it, uh, I didn't manage it. I managed it poorly, very poorly. Um, and I would have vices, whether it be alcohol, whether it would be partying, whether it be on excessive spending. Did, so all the, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Did, did all these things when like for so many years you carried uh, this, you, you're saying the nuclear waste or, uh, the kind of hollowness that was, have you ever felt suicidal or the depressive phase in your life as well, when you were actually realizing and those things were coming back again and again? Sure. You know, there was definitely a level of depression and anxiety, but again, I didn't want to go in that direction. I didn't want to face it. So I used to hide it and I used to hide it by having a big smile on my face. And, and that's the question I ask people now, do you choose happiness or do you choose seeking the truth? And there's a difference between happiness and contentment, fulfillment. Um, and so for me, I didn't have, like, I, I suffered through depression and anxiety. Um, and uh, it just, you know, it, it, it's, when you're on this vibration or, or frequency, and if you're at a high level frequency and vibration, you tend to attract or be amongst other people that have high vibration and high frequency. If you're at a low frequency, you tend to attract low frequency. And that's what happens. So I became a, a nucleus to speak, to, to, uh, to add, which would actually bring low vibration situations to me. And so what happened was, is I went through a marital breakdown um, and, uh, you know, through that marital breakdown, and I, and I shared this very openly, is that it was one of the worst moments of my life, one of them, not the worst moment of my life, which was uh, my ex-wife had uh, had used the atomic bomb of divorce cases. And the atomic uh, bomb of divorce cases is alleged domestic abuse. And it was alleged. Um, and to be so helpless, and when the police department shows up to your house and you've been traveling and you're not been there, and all of a sudden there's these allegations, um, and they tell you they have zero discretion. And you just know you're like you're you're innocent, and uh, you have to go through this path. Um, you know, my my children were alienated from me. I was the bad guy, turned against me. That's a tough place to be. Very, you know, and I feel horrible because there are many women that are being abused on a daily basis, and it's horrible. It's sad, but to have people use that to take that for their own self bias or self service, it, it's it's not cool. So I actually hit some low points and lower points and lower points. But let me tell you something is that the safest I ever felt was in that jail cell because I, I did spend a night in jail and that was the safest I've ever been because you know what? I'm, I'm in, confined by four concrete walls on a concrete bed and you're sitting there and you're like, I thought I had it all. And look, at, look where it's taken me. So I went from changing my mentality from a victim mentality to saying, hey, take ownership, take inventory. You did all this to yourself. You allowed it to happen. Now let's do something about it. And that's when 
the whole mindset investor came in. Wow, I profession experiences, the cover up, then the relationship, then the allegations, then the children, like professional, personal, everything you have like taken up, like somebody has thrown a bomb on your house, on you. And that night in the jail, you realize that take ownership. But I, I want to know, like majority of the people who are beaten up in these kind of pressurized situations, not just externally, but internally as well, they majority, like when we listen to the news, etc., majority of the people give up. They commit suicide. They just take their life. They do, they just go in the wrong direction, drugs, etc., and a lot of things. What was the biggest push? Like when you felt that I should take ownership, what was the biggest push? Or what was that which actually like kicked you and it, it just turned around the game altogether? Yeah. Um, the biggest thing came down to me being self-reflection on myself and saying, I'm not a quitter, I'm a fighter. And that's what it came down to. It really allowed me to think of a lot of things that happened in my childhood and saying, I'm not gonna give up. I'm, I'm gonna go through it. Like uh, I'll fight, I'll fight, I'll fight. And that's where the whole 7-2 came from. That's where the whole 7-2 movement came from because in poker, as you said, the seven card and a two card are the worst possible hand in poker, mathematically speaking. So someone may look at that 7-2 and saying, that's a bad hand, you have to fold that hand. But we have to start thinking in bets. We have to start looking at the odds of things. A 7-2 hand superficially may look like it's a bad hand. But in actual fact, you have a 30, I think it's a 37% chance of winning on that hand. Is it really that bad? Someone on the other hand of that poker table, and I'm not no professional poker player. I play with some friends once in a while, but for those that are, that are listening and you've never played poker, a 7-2 is a bad hand. An ace-king, doesn't matter if you don't have to play cards or not, you know an ace-king is going to be a good hand. And many people think ace-king, oh, look at them. They got such an amazing hand. Look at how great, they're so lucky and so forth. But an ace-king hand only has a 65% chance of winning. And what happens is we can make a decision based on the, on the cards we have, or why not have some patience? Let's wait for that next card to drop. What happens if a seven drops? Well, now I have a pair. Now I have a better hand. So you see where I'm going with this is that you know, Dr. Viktor Frankl in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, which is one of my favorite books. And he says in there, actually, before I get to what he says is, I mean, he was a neuroscientist, I believe, that lived through four concentration camps during the Second World War. He saw his loved ones killed. He went, it was, it was really, really bad. But the, and he could actually predict who was going to survive and who was going to uh, die in these camps. He could actually predict it right down to a science. And I'm going to paraphrase the main comment in there, which is it's not the circumstance that defines you. It's how you choose to respond to that circumstance that will define you. That circumstance was not going to define me. It was my choice on that, how I was going to, you know, you know, basically how I was going to tackle that circumstance. 
choice. Choice is the most powerful word, uh, word I tell everybody. So going back to the seven two hat, I have a choice. I can either fold that hand or I can play that hand. And in my life, I've been playing bad hands all and I keep on folding them, keep on folding them. Fold. I had no choice. My back was against the wall because if I didn't, what was the next step? The next step would have been suicide probably, right? And I wasn't going to let that happen. When you mentioned about the choice, it reminded me that I keep talking about the choice. So people who think that, oh, I have to make this choice, this choice is difficult. Well, not making a choice is also a choice. Uh, this is what many people don't understand, but uh, thanks for sharing that point as well. And which brings me to the next question. You have already answered that about the seven two analogy and what it is because many people who are listening to it might not know what poker is and how it works but let me ask you what were the like in the game when let's say you have a seven two hand there are uh, like steps that you take right like how you play it one by one so what are the steps you uh, started taking after that sure great that's a great question by the way so I'm a firm believer that we have to make our own luck. Okay. And if you look at whether we're talking about card playing or whatever, and, and this is human nature, there's three things that really hold us back. Okay. Besides environmental, and I can talk about fixed mindset, but really there's three things that hold us back. Number one is something called resulting. And resulting is simply equating the quality of one's decisions based on the quality of results. That's a big no-no. And I'll talk about that in a second. Self-serving bias. I'll base decisions on my current belief systems. And the third thing is hindsight bias, which is that notion that you wait for the outcome to come out first. And then you say, see, I told you, so I predicted that. And how many people do that, right? And so resulting is really powerful for that because I think a lot of people in life, um, they'll, like I said, they'll equate the quality of decisions based on the quality of results. So for me, I, I couldn't do that because I've done that all my life. So I had to create, I had to uh, make my own life. And that was where I got introduced to investing in myself. Because um, it was the one thing I didn't pour into. It was the one thing I didn't do because my ego was too big. My, in fact, my ego, my head was so big because I thought I knew it all because I had everything going on for me. Um, my head wouldn't fit through this door right here. I thought I had it all figured out. Externally, it didn't look like I had an eagle, but inside I had an eagle because I really struggled with what people thought of me, how they viewed me. Um, and that's why I had to be the smartest person in the room. In any room I had to be, I had to be the smartest person in the room. Now I take pride in being the dumbest person in the room. I enjoy it because I, I'm seeking the truth. I want to learn. I'm a sponge. So what happened is I, you know, we had to create, I created these self signals. So the seven, two, for example, what that meant to me, mindset investor. So what happened was, is through this path, um, while I was still working and so forth, I decided to get into real estate investing. And the reason I decided to get into real estate investing um, was, is going through a divorce, it, it essentially wiped out my net worth. And you know, when you have your divorce bills over $200,000 a year, I mean, $200,000, just divorce bills, um, plus loss of income and all the other stuff, like it was, it was bad. And I said, I need to fill that, that hole quickly. How do I fill that, that, that void? 
So of course, real estate is the way I went because I said this is a good vehicle. It's uh, and I it, I feel like I do well with it. But by going to real estate investing, all I did was amplify how much more broken I was because I didn't fix my mindset. All it did was add more chaos. It just it just amplified it. It was like putting the microscope and change that focus to you know, 100x is what it did. So what I realized and hit this point where I need help. And the issue again is me and that issue is my mindset. And so that was when I hired one of my first mentors. And I quickly realized that by being in the, in the smaller rooms and being the dumbest person in the room, I was starting to grow. I wasn't decaying anymore. It was like unleashing potential because see, our brains are plastic, right? And that's what I tell people is the only organ in the body that we don't want to grow is our brain. Everything else, we don't want a heart to grow because that's enlarged heart cells, but liver, we don't want that, but our brain. And once we start tapping into things, the neurons start firing, right? got acetylcholine and it's just firing. The synapses are going and going and going. And then it's like walking down a hallway and the lights turn on. And that's what's happening when you fire into our brain, untapped potential. And I quickly realized, because I used to call myself a real estate investor, and I changed that too. And I started saying to myself, I'm a mindset investor. I'm a mindset investor. I'm a mindset investor. And I made it a, a very bold declaration to the universe in that I was going to spend $1 million into my mindset. Most people say they want to spend, you know, $100,000 on education or they want to buy a house or buy a car. I said, I'm going to spend $1 million into my mindset because it's the only return on investment to have control over. And thus far, I've invested just under $300,000 into my mindset. But the amazing thing is when I'm pouring into myself so I can pour into others, I'm being selfish so I can be selfless. I have much more alignment. I have much more congruency. My vibration level is at, at such a level. I, I can't believe the conversations I'm having. Like if it wasn't for me investing myself, I wouldn't be here talking to you. We would have never connected. Right? So. Yeah. Now this is going really interesting and I'm really intrigued by your story and the kind of things that you have achieved after that. Uh, I have a question based on what you said right now, but before that, I really want to know um, specifically like of course professional aspect money and that all those things are there but when that personal relationship challenge also you faced and you were jailed and so much of uh, you know uh, allegations were made etc after that typically people tend to lose trust on people sure lose faith on love lose yeah. faith in relationships and uh, very difficult to trust in a, mm -hmm. another person out there. Yeah. What happened with you and how did you uh, like turn around? Yeah, I, I quickly realized uh, the issue I had wasn't with them. It's because I didn't trust myself. You know, I, I tell people all the time is that how can one expect to invest in you if you can only invest in yourself? How can I have a great relationship with other people if I don't have a great relationship with myself? People complain about toxic relationships. Look, people need to look in the mirror. How's your relationship with yourself? That is and it starts with self-awareness, which then goes to self-acceptance. And then self-acceptance allows you to self-regulation. Absolutely. 
and based on this when we actually work on the relationship with ourselves do you when you actually uh, teach people coach people on the mindset and about the self awareness of everything do you personally have any kind of practice or ritual or any kind of habits that you you know what i would say you invest in yourself every single day yes absolutely so the 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 real first thing that one has to do when there's like i said the self awareness their self acceptance and their self regulation it's one of the questions we have to ask ourselves is why 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 do we wake up in the morning why do i have this cup of coffee be intentional why are we doing the things why why are you on this quest why did you write a book everything goes back to a why be a child again how many times a child why 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 is the sky blue why is this and we tell them stop asking questions but we need to be asking those questions of ourselves why 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 that's the very very first thing um so that's why i tell people is ask those specific questions and get deep with those questions a lot of times i ask people oh why do you want to do investing oh it's for my children i say bs bs that's the easy question that's the easy answer of course that's a no brainer question let's get deeper let's get deeper let's get deeper let's get deeper and once you get that it's like th- that's your compass that's your north star and once you once we have that it's not going to be easy it's i i could tell everybody right now i heard this point yesterday on the there's a fine line between purpose and pain and to seek your purpose it's going to be painful you stress there's going to be distress you're going to have to make some tough choices in your life to get the life you want you're going to have to give up the life you currently have i tell people stop searching for who you think you are but instead create who you want to become awful right so before all that can happen it's about being it's all about looking inward before we can go outward it's really really powerful and it actually <laughs> led me into a flashback when you said that you know be a child and uh, ask questions like i'm famous for asking questions okay so when i was in my job i remember one incidents when um, we were having a discussion and there was something to be discussed and i was digging in more deep into that aspect of what we were supposed to be doing and my lead was sitting beside me and i was asking question 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 okay if we are doing this why are we and he got irritated why are you asking so many questions do this i was like okay <laughs> it reminded me and uh, made me into that aspect that many a times we are actually you know many people don't like that somebody should ask question or they because they themselves do not ask questions they don't ask the questions themselves yes. exactly so that that's what actually a very powerful thing because we have been given a process in our conventional education system follow 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 like mm-hmm. the point that you mentioned was very powerful be intentional and there is no in, nothing like intentional in our uh, typical conventional education system but thankfully yes. things are changing uh, so thank you so much for sharing that it's really really powerful no problem which leads me to the next question as you spoke about mentors right so how, you said you are going to invest 1 million dollars in the mindset and you spoke about mentors 
people who think that okay i can do everything on my own i don't need any mentors because and how to get mentors so what is your take on this and what is your message to those people who are seeking out but still skeptical about you know should i have a mentor or what is it and what is the importance of mentor in your life that's that's a great question because that's something i i face every day you know and it's what it comes down to it comes down to our scarcity versus abundant mindset most with the herd mentality are living through scarcity i i tell people i still suffer from scarcity because i'm a human being and this is why this is a process this is why we stick to our morning and evening rituals this is why we meditate this is why we visualize this is why we manifest this is why we do incantations this is why we look at our health this is why we look at our relationships this is why we look at our faith because it's too it's discipline because our brains our our minds are designed to conserve energy and the brain the brain sees more than the mind can see so if you're narrow minded the brain is going to be it's only going to give you that lens to what you can see so the brain is there to serve our mind so scarcity is a really really key thing so i tell people is what is the role of a mentor well it comes down to one's why so let's determine your why so let's just say for example one's person's why is i want to make sure um like you know let's just say i'm just going to use an example um i want to be a a real estate investor i want to have x amount of properties i want to have this much cash flow because when i was a child i saw my parents suffer with money and you know and how it made me feel and i never want to feel that again okay but then you tell them go getting a mentor no 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 it's too expensive so i i bring it back you've just put a price tag on what it takes to give up on that to fix that that's a that's a price there's value and there's price you just put a price on that i tell people as well the role of a mentor or the right mentor that is you know talk about what a right mentor it means to me is about compression of time you you just mentioned a very crucial aspect difference between value and price can you elaborate on that oh well, value is what you get price is what you have to pay for <laughs> right and so i look at price so i mean when i'm saying you know one of my mentors i i just signed up with um you know it was $30,000 us people may look at that price ooh that's that's crazy but that value Look at the value I'm getting from excellent it. Excellent example and excellent analogy. So people who are scared, you know, oh, this much price I have to pay, they are missing out the value part of it. So they don't, it, they, and 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 they don't understand what value means then, right? So the next thing is what a, what the mentor does is they compress time. They compress time. Time is a finite resource. Everything else is in abundance. Money, opportunities, partnerships. It's an abundance. The one thing we don't have is time. Time is a finite resource. So this is all we have. So I ask people going back, how much do you value your time? People that don't want mentors are the ones that don't value their time. Okay? Um the other thing about having a mentor is what you're doing is you're paying for their experience and their wisdom. So you don't have to figure out yourself. the it's going to be more expensive trying to figure out yourself and people may have their own egos yeah but i learned it myself but yeah at what cost 
At what price? If price is the issue, at what price? And what I tell people is the right mentors are going to be the ones that they're going to serve as your GPS. They're going to know where you are, where you're going, and to expect the unexpected because they've been on that pathway. And we're all guilty. We all have GPS. We are, all of our phones have GPS. That's the best mentor. So think about this. We're driving in a car and the GPS says, turn right, turn right, turn right. I look at the street. It's full of traffic. I was like, no, no, I'm not going to go. Like the GPS is wrong, but I go straight. What happens? I end up being late. I'm anxious. I'm cranky. I screwed up. My meeting got canceled because I was late. The mentor is telling me to turn right, but I decide because of my ego, I can outbeat the system or I'll beat someone's experience or the data points. This is so, so profound. <laughs> so for me, I'm, a, I'm you know, and the, the other thing about mentorship, which is really, really important is now let's talk about the value versus the price. The value for me is that I've come down to my why to such a level that I need to, I need to pour into myself so I can pour into others. But I also recognize that I'm a high performance individual. I'm an F1 vehicle, a Formula One vehicle. Now, if you, someone turns on the TV and watches a Formula One vehicle, when they come into the pit stop, is there one person that's going to change the tires, fix the brakes, making sure the driver's hydrated, making sure the communications are fine, making sure the aerodynamics are fine, making sure... No. You have to have a multitude of people mentoring you or in your circle if you want to work at top performance. And the best of the best of the best all have mentors. So if one says they don't want to mentor scarcity, well, that's okay. Then stick with the herd mentality. I'm okay with that. This is really, really profound. And it just, again, took me to the flashback, the exact uh, scenario that you mentioned that we can get everything, money, material stuffs, abundance of everything. What we can never get is time and which went back like two to three years back when I was in deep financial mess and I had to sign up for my mentorship program under David and I did not have money. I borrowed money because two voices were going on in my mind. So don't do now, come out of the mess and then go for it. The other voice told me, okay, you will earn money later on, whatever happened, but can you get back the time? Okay, that, that just kicked me and I found and I wouldn't have been sitting with you here today if I wouldn't have, you know, listened to the second voice. Sure, absolutely. And, and, and how many people will go and buy uh, the biggest, flashiest TV, put it on a credit card and pay 20% interest, but they won't take that same amount of money, invest in themselves where they can control the return on investment. So let's just say in, 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 in a mathematical perspective, if I'm going to borrow something at 20%, but my ROI on that is going to be 25%. I made 5% on that investment. And I think people, people, I do, they just don't, again, they don't value the time. They don't appreciate time. Right? So, um, and the other thing as well, I'll tell people is there's going to be a lot of people out there that call themselves mentors. There's people that buy the, they wear Lululemon here at pants in North America. And they'll put them on, or the yoga pants, the real tight yoga pants, they'll put them on, go on Instagram saying, I'm a yogi. You know, and you, you, people read one spiritual book and they'll Second say, I'm a spiritual leader. <laughs> right? But 
I tell people when I am getting into the smaller rooms, smaller rooms, smaller rooms, the question I ask them is, who's mentored them? Are they still continuing to, to be a mentor? Because at the end of the day, if someone tells me they're a master, not good enough, because that means they've put a, a glass ceiling on themselves. Mastery is what I'm looking for. Mastery, continued growth. And that exactly is the point when um, I am skeptical to learn from people who actually is hesitant and does not talk about their mentors or if they have not learned from anybody like just like you mentioned the example so whom they have learned from that is important because then it shows the not just the level of transparency but it also shows whom i am learning from so sure. that's really really critical and this was really profound uh, thanks mark for sharing that and now i'm very curious to know your name is mark or fayaz that's a great question this is the first time someone on any podcast has asked that and I am really curious to know the story behind it and what is your real full name? Sure, of course. So, of course, if someone's watching the video on this, they're going to recognize this is a brown guy. How does he get a name like Mark? Um, so, what happened was, is when I went through this, this, this really bad spot in my life, and... Uh, what, what kick-started this is that when there was the false allegations and uh, pictures had surfaced, uh, my children had told myself that, and the police department, that they actually witnessed self-induced bruises, I'll leave it at that, self-induced, but laid blame. But a picture going out to the internet, it's gone. And what ended up happening was, is I received a lot of hate mail from friends, from people that knew me, that knew I, I, I'm incapable of hurting a fly. But a picture, and I don't blame them because I'd be the same way. So I took a hiatus from social media. I stepped away from it because, again, my, my, my mindset was my low frequency vibration was looking for the bad stuff on social media, blaming Trump, uh, people looking at what they want to eat, blaming government and all that stuff. So I remember driving and I just said, like there, social media has such a powerful tool and we know that from a business perspective and I need to get back into social media, but how do I do this? And so I'm very spontaneous and I said, you know what, I'm gonna, Mark Smith, that's who I'm going with, just like that. And I didn't even have a picture of myself. It was just a 7-2. That's all I had, 7-2. People knew me as 7-2. And what I quickly realized through this journey is that I actually created a new character for myself. Um, now I was able to create who I wanted to become. There's a great book about this. I didn't even realize there's a science behind this. Um, but in this book, they highlight, look at Clark Kent and Superman. Look at Spider-Man and Peter Parker. Look at uh, Iron Man. Look at Stephen King. Stephen King has written other books besides thrillers, but actually had to change his name to get into character. 
a lot of these women, uh, a lot of these novels, these romance novels, where you have like Fabio with the long hair and a woman sprawled out on his chest and it's fantasy. The name is a female's name, but most of them are actually written by men. And why is that? Because they can they can get into character. We do this to ourselves. If I can go to the gym and I want to lift heavy, heavy weight, I start talking to myself. Do it. You're a beast. You're a beast. You can do it. You can do it. So what happened was is I created this by accident because I didn't know what, you know, I just did this because I wanted to get, and it took a, a path of its own. And Mark Smith became the person that my old self couldn't be. My old self kept on searching for who, who they thought they were. They wanted to be the people pleaser. They wanted to do that. Mark Smith doesn't give a shit. Um, and what it does is it allowed me to take permission and look from an outside lens while what was missing. I took an inventory of, of myself and what actually has happened, it has actually just changed the trajectory of my life. And so I went on a deeper road on this because um, there's research on this and there's actually a great book by Todd Herman called The Alter Ego Effect. And um, so I read his book and it just hit me, it hit me saying, wow, like I did this completely by accident, but it makes perfect sense. And uh, there is a time where your alter ego and your real character actually hit. Um, an example of that is Beyonce Knowles. So Beyonce Knowles, very famous, right? Destiny's Child, and she went solo. So she is a daughter of a pastor, a gospel singer, and she was very, very uncomfortable getting on stage because she couldn't dance like that and you know flash her body like that. So she actually created an alter ego, which was Sasha Fierce. So when she would perform, she was Sasha Fierce, not Beyonce Knowles. And it wasn't until I think a couple of years ago that she said, Sasha Fierce is no more. It's only Beyonce. So now when I've talked to people, most people, they know me as Mark. In fact, the hardest thing I had to do though, this was the hardest thing I had to do when I sat down with my parents and I told them that this is my identity now. And they both said they were proud of me of Indian descent. They were proud of me so profound and this so interesting like you get goosebumps in that you said it happened by accident but it happened for a purpose it sure. happened for a reason i mean you had to, you literally had to kill yourself to be the person who you can become so this is like you are the living proof anyone can become anything if they want to become mm -hmm. so this is amazing i mean and it, it takes a lot of guts it takes a lot of guts to share the things that you share uh, in front of so many people and knowing that you know he this was me a few years back and you know all these things happened i might be judged but it does not matter anymore. So doesn't. And one of my mentors taught me, and this has become my moral compass. This is my moral compass. God's opinion of me makes man's opinion of me irrelevant. Irrelevant. 
Amazing, amazing. So great to know the story behind it as well. So 7-2 is actually become like a movement, which is a movement. But yes, Mark Smith, Fayaz, but the Mark Smith is the real person. But yes, I'm sure just like you mentioned, this is the hardest thing I had to do. Like leaving that identity and not just creating this identity, you have actually created and impacted so many people through this identity, who you mm-hmm. have become. So hats off. No problem. Thank you. It's, 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 it's been, it's been such a, a humbling road. You know, I, I received messages from so many people and I'm just, you know what? It, it, I'm doing it to help out. Like I said, to pour into others, like, last week someone asked me and i didn't realize this but i said because i have a, a, a quite a, a growing social media presence you know my youtube the podcast um, instagram and all different platforms clubhouse so we've spent or invested i guess you can say in the last year one hundred and twenty thousand dollars outside of my investment in my mindset but we've invested in our our content creation all this stuff the guests and someone said to me you spent $120,000 and you only have 1,400 subscribers on YouTube. You only have 4,000 people on Instagram. Who does that stuff? That's stupid. Who does that? And I said, because the scarcity started kicking in, right? And then what happened? Mark came in. I do. I do it. And I do it because I'm pouring into others. I'm not doing it for myself. This is forcing me to improve. I have a responsibility to pour into others. Well, that 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 itself speaks volumes because you literally that was not an answer to other person. That was an answer to yourself. Yes. So that was literally an answer to yourself. This is this is great. Thanks for sharing that uh, incident. And uh, now I am. Uh, which leads me to the next question is you have written a book right so tell us about the book the name and what the book is about so that our listeners can also go and grab the copy and read it sure um so as we talked about before i was in high ticket sales i'm still in high ticket sales you know i although uh, being an owner of, of multiple companies with, with partners i have some amazing partners um but um Sales has always been my thing. I've always loved it. And I believe, and I, why I like sales, it's not, you know, there's other people that love sales because it's like a, a it's like a domineering. So dominance is like, I sold someone, I sold them, they, you know, and I closed them, I closed them. And I don't like that. I don't like the word when someone says I closed them. I think it's just so dehumanizing when you say I closed someone. So with sales, what I found was my success with sales was, is I had to differentiate myself from the sales element. You know, there's all so many sales books, there's so many sales courses. It's the same song, just a different rhyme, okay? But I really had to look at what separated me. What separated me from my from my competitors? What separated me? Why, did, why was I so successful in sales? Why do I continue being successful in sales? And what I attributed it to is that I didn't, my sales wasn't based on the number of product or services I can sell. It was based on the number of people I can serve. Because going back to when, you know, I had terminated the lives of seven people or seven, seven human beings, it was to serve, how do I help people? 
So I wanted to help people and to do, and I was in medical sales and in the medical industry, if you know, it's like standing in line to get your face slapped when you're bringing change, it's like standing in line to get your face slapped. Um, but I believed in serving, I believed in helping others. And what I realized is that it wasn't because I was a better salesperson because I knew the product better. It wasn't because I had other assets. It was because I attribute everything to my mindset. My mindset allowed me to, to do well in sales because sales is an, uh, uh, the act of communication. I tell people this all the time. The best salesperson that you can speak to is the, is the person that tells you that they're not a salesperson. And why that is? Because they've sold themselves that they're not a salesperson. That is the best salesperson. Wow. Right? So <laughs> Repeat that last line, please. The best salesperson is the one that says they're not a salesperson because they've sold themselves. It's really, really profound because the people who have a different kind of thought process for sales closing, I'm sure it might have shifted right now. Yeah. I tell people this all the time. Like I, I've spoken to people and they say, yeah, I'm not a salesperson. It's like, oh yeah, where did you, what did you guys do last week? Oh, we went to a restaurant. Okay. Which restaurant did you go to? Okay. Who's all there? Okay. Who, what did you order? Okay. Whose idea was to go to this restaurant? And then eventually they come on saying, yeah, it was my idea. You're a salesperson. <laughs> that is amazing. So what is the name of the book? So it's basically, yeah, uh, it's, it's the five mindset hacks. Uh, essentially yeah, for sales. So, you know, and how to accelerate in sales. And so, and we'll give all your audience a free copy, a link to the ebook for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And here is the thing, people who think that, what would I do by taking a book on sales? I'm not in sales. I'm working in this. I'm in IT. I'm a doctor, etc., etc. Just think about it. Okay. From your home, from your child, to your spouse, to your parents, to your team members, to the bus conductor, to the taxi driver, whoever it is, you're actually selling or, you know, getting sold on some way or the other every yep. single moment, every single day. So it's not about that whether you're a salesperson or not, but you need to know the mindset to have that, right? So go and grab this book. The link would be in the description box. So. Great. Absolutely. <laughs> and the key topics I talk in this book, it really comes to the five mindset hacks. So number one, it's, you know, I, I, I'm not going to swear on your podcast because there's, there's an adjective in there, but it shut the F up and listen. Listening is the most powerful tool for any salesperson, because how can one be empathetic if they're not listening? I've been in rooms where I'll leave with the salesperson saying, how do, you, how do you think of that meeting went? Oh, it went fantastic. They're going to buy this. They want this. They want this. It's like, no, that's what you want. I don't know what they want because you were talking the whole time. It's about listening. You know, people, a lot of salespeople, they'll say, they'll pride themselves. I'm a solution provider. How can you provide a solution if you don't know what the problem is? We're, we're as salespeople, we have to come in almost like a therapist, identify what their pain points are. I tell people this, if you want to, it's like telling an alcoholic, they got a drinking problem. If they haven't accepted they're an alcoholic, how well is that conversation going to go? So it's about listening, empathy. You know, Maya Angelou says, it's not the things that you say to people that will remember it's how you make them feel listening 
helps people understand that you're empathetic and you're, you're actually paying attention to them. Who doesn't want to be heard? Who doesn't want to be heard in this world? So that's the first thing. The second thing is very important um, that I share is about uh, passion. One of, my, one of my first mentors said to me, and this is going back oh, to 1999, which was, how much of sales is passion? How much is knowledge? So I said 50-50. And he says, you're dead wrong. Sales is 99.99999% passion. People are not buying the product. They're buying or investing in you. You are the asset. And what they're doing is they're, they want that passion. They want a piece of that passion. Not because not only you believe in the product, but because you believe in why you're talking about it. We see all the time. How many times you get a telemarketer? Yeah, we got a product. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, this guy's not going to buy from himself. Why should I buy from him? Okay, so passion. The third thing, which is very important, is really knowing the competition. When I say coin the competition, I'm not saying know who, if you're working against General Electric or different. The competition is very easy. Go look in the mirror. That's your competition. What are you doing to strive for excellence? What are you doing to be better? Are you investing in yourself? Should other people invest in you? And why should they? What separates you from the pack? If you don't ask those hard questions, you're only hiding. Right? The fourth thing is being indispensable. Be indispensable. There's a pathway in sales, which is you start as a salesperson, you go to uh, being a, a consultant, and then ultimate epiphany is being a trusted advisor. The difference is, is the salesperson is now trying to sell a product. The consultant can go in and you know solve problems, consult. But the true level is being a trusted advisor. And how you become a trusted advisor, how you know you're a trusted advisor, is when your customer starts calling you and asking you for opinions on other people's services. Okay, so, but it has, that's, that has to be built. And how that is built is by number one, shutting up and listening, building empathy, building rapport, building a relationship, being indispensable. Indispensable means keeping your promises. I tell people this, you know, people say um, un, um, under promise, over deliver, uh -uh. over promise and over deliver. Over promise and over deliver. And the other aspect of sales that I talk about is guerrilla warfare. Guerrilla warfare. People say, "What's what about you know, guerrilla warfare?" If you look at you know um, history, and I love history, you look at warfare. How were some wars won? They were won through guerrilla warfare, doing unorthodox methods, ethically. I'm saying ethically, everybody. And so, one of those guerrilla warfare things I say is, you know, there's so much low-lying fruit. There's a great book called um, Acres of Diamonds. There's so much low-lying fruit. Everybody wants to go to the top of the tree to get that fruit, to get that apple or mango, whatever they want to get. But there's, they're all so low. But sometimes it's our ego that says, I want to get to that big, I want to get to that top one. Build a foundation, build a foundation. And how I accelerated my guerrilla warfare uh, strategy was I would go to the smallest accounts that I knew my competitors weren't going to because they thought they were too big for those accounts. And what I did was I was able to own all those accounts. And by the time the competition caught wind of who I was, I already had my tribe.
This is just so profound, the points that you shared. And uh, one of the key things, like I was a naive related to sales, closing or anything because I never knew all those things and I don't even come from that background. So to me, sales and a salesperson means talking, 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 talking. And that's what we have seen everywhere, the yeah. cheesy salespeople. Yeah. And then I first came to learn that, oh my God, it's listening. The entire thing shifted. Yes. You're absolutely right. <clears throat> and these points are absolutely fabulous. And everyone who is listening to this, if you've still not understood, you know, the crux of it and how important uh, this book is, what value you are going to get it, go to the link and get your copy now itself. So thank you, Mark, for sharing that. No problem. And, uh, I would like to um, ask you a very simple question, okay? If not a 7-2 mindset investor, what would Mark be? Mark, there would be no Mark. Okay. There'd be no, there'd be no Mark. I would have folded that hand and I would have been part of the herd. Part of the there'd herd. There'd be no Mark. There'd be no Mark. There'd be no Mark. No and existence you know of Mark. Got it. I'd be living in ego. I'd be living in scarcity. I'd be living for other people's happiness. Um, yeah, looking back, that would be that would be ugly. Oof, that would be bad. And when Mark is not, you know, teaching people, coaching people, doing the podcast, interview, etc., what are the things people don't know about Mark that that he does in his own time? Oh. Everything is with intention. Everything lies back to the why. Okay. Okay. So a lot of people say, don't you take downtime? When you're living in purpose, do you need downtime? No. I mean, you know, there's some days, yeah, you know, I, I get overwhelmed. We're all human beings. But then what I'll do instead of going and, and watching some sort of documentary on something that is just going to add weeds to my brain and, and paralyze me, I'll either go find a motivating YouTube video, I'll pick up a book, I'll go for a walk, I'll have a conversation. Um, it's about uh, it's about that you know cultivating and nurturing. Beautiful. You know, so so for example, I, lo I like I lift weights. Um, I, I try to get in at least twelve thousand steps a day. Uh, I'm drinking uh, four liters of water a day. Um, these are all things I'm doing because. Um, I have to take care of myself. A healthy you means everything healthy around you. So true. Absolutely. And there's and there's little levers, right? There's levers in our life. Absolutely. So we may have. So, for example, when I had uh, when I was uh, my old self, if I look at my different levers, I my my health lever was so on point. I mean, I was in such great shape. I was like, my body fat was like six point three percent. I was just shredded. Six like I think I had an eight pack. I was just but my but my contentment or fulfillment lever was all the way on empty my relationship was on empty my relation with myself my faith so it's these levers that are moving so it's about managing priorities so we have some sort of equilibrium not balance but equilibrium along them because one day it's going to be health next thing it could be financial next thing it could be mental absolutely absolutely and 
my last question to you is what is the message you want to give to the people who are going through the phases in life especially during the pandemic and still thinking ki will i be able to do it everything is lost everything is gone and you being one of the person who has been there done that and not just done that what you are actually helping people to do that so what is your one crucial message to them yeah and i'll take that messaging from dr victor dr victor frankel it's not the circumstance that defines you it's how you choose to deal with that that circumstance the whole world was dealt a 7-2 the whole world and still is with covid a lot of people came out of the world and some of them said it was the worst year of their life some of them said it was the best year of their life but that was a choice and the choice came from the actions they took the actions they took so it's not the circumstance that defines you it's how you choose to deal with that circumstance so that's what I tell people we all have a choice you're either a victim or you're a victor so true you're either a victim or you are a victor how you choose to respond how you choose to respond that's what it comes down to and if you're blaming others for where you are just make sure at the top of the list you put yourself on that list because if you don't all you are is entitled and you know i've had people when i talk like this and i talk from a state of vulnerability because i'm a firm believer that one's vulnerability is our superpower like i'm just honest with people i i'm not no guru i this is things i just do and i just share with the world like i put on my pants one leg at a time like any any other human being i've had people saying you don't know what you're talking about and you know i'm going to unsubscribe you and this kind of stuff i've actually sent sent people messages back saying if you want to subscribe unsubscribe from me no problem i'll make a youtube video to show you how to unsubscribe because you don't need to be part of this circle i so believe in that aspect because vulnerability is one of the area which like is a big time impact in my and i've been following like brenny brown on that aspect and um it's one of the area where people are scared of and yes. they have so many negative uh, you know aspects related to vulnerability but that's a different topic altogether but um I have taken a lot of your time because it, it, it I just couldn't stop. So anything else you would like to add Mark uh before we wrap up? No, I I just want to say, you know, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for being you. Thank you for I just love seeing your growth. I know we got to meet uh I want to say about maybe 6 or 7 weeks ago and I've been watching from the sidelines and you have a there's a spark inside you that you may not see. but uh i i just everybody that's that's watching has to watch you even more because you're going places you have you have no idea where you're going but i i see a massive spark in you so wow that that's really really um i'm really humbled and thank you for sharing that and uh, the this i'll always keep this in mind and uh, it's just that i'm just taking one step at a time this is what i've been doing since the last 2 3 years and i'm just taking my next steps that's it so but it was i i am really thankful for the day when we met in clubhouse and now we are speaking today so mm-hmm. this has been amazing and everyone all the listeners who are listening to this please go to the description you will find all the details follow mark his channels and trust me you will be blown off by some of his sharings what he shares and definitely get the book 
because after knowing his story if you still don't learn from this person then oh my god something is terribly wrong with you so go and grab your copy so thank you so much mark uh, this intensify life podcast which was previously named as intensify humanity so thank you for being here <laughs>